Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of episode four, The Way of Enough. So just before we get started, I just wanted to share that I've been doing a Qigong teacher training program with my friend here, Dr. Michael Smith. For about a year or so now, we've just gotten into a new level, and it's been really beneficial in not just the sense of a daily practice and looking for different qualities in your own way of doing things, but also having an ability to share that with other people in a meaningful way, and then rewarding to see that a couple friends have shared enthusiasm from some of the results of just some of these exercises. Could we just touch on what we're going over there a little bit and about the course for those who haven't heard about it? Uh, absolutely. So I have an online teacher training program and the website is uh, Soma Dao Qigong, uh, S-O-M-A-D-A-O-Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. Uh, lots of ways to spell this stuff. And the focus on this teacher training is on a 10-level approach to uh, hopefully passing on everything I've learned in about 40 years of learning uh, Qigong and meditation and breathwork. And uh, right now we're working on uh, standing meditation and the 16 kind of fundamental teachings of that. Uh, what's called San Sejin or Silk Reeling, uh, which is a really profound way of becoming very, very coordinated uh, on every level. Basically, it's like moving and rotating every joint and tendon in your body all, all at the same time, often in many directions at once in a way. So it, it's a, a really deep dive into the practice. Before that, we focused on some traditional forms, and uh, that'd be in level two. And in level one, we focused mostly on just understanding the, the basics of how to open up each joint in your body, how breath work works, how to stretch, uh, how to meditate, you know, in, in a few different ways so that people would be able to get started. And for people who are just doing a one-year uh, commitment to level one, two, and three, that's the equivalent of a 200-hour teacher training program. And that usually gives people a couple of years to learn it all, practice it all, go through enough online or in-person reviews with me so that we can get all the details right, so that uh, people who want to become Qigong teachers know that they're a part of a really you know, strong lineage and that they have access to all of that material for the rest of their life so that, you know, you can focus on what you're actually doing right now. Another unique thing about the Soma Dao Qigong uh, lineage and process is that um, in a way it's all the lineages that I've been a part of in my life in the last, you know, three or four decades, but also it's my expression of all of the things I've learned from modern Qigong, from a more ancient practice called Dao Yin to a deeper internal kind of cultivation called Nei Gong, all the way into some of the principles and practices of Nei Dan or inner alchemy from a Taoist practical point of view. So there, there's a lot in there that's very traditional uh, from the, you know, sense of, you know, came from a Chinese master uh, from China, uh, which is, I think, important for all of us to have a, a sense of that connection. But with this training, it's also interweaving all of those practices with what we know now in clinical science. I'm a doctor, and a lot of my patients deal with addiction and trauma. So when I started learning about 15 years ago about how trauma therapy works and how breath work connects to that and all these other practices, I was blown away to realize that the best things that modern science was figuring out about how to people, help people with trauma was literally, and I'm not making this up, Alex, it was literally the exact same process we call Dao Yin, which is one of the earlier healing traditions from the indigenous people of Asia, which combines movement and intention and breath work, and actually like almost um, day by day, layer by layer, unraveling the memories in your body that are emotional or instinctual. And again, that goes back to our, our you know practice in Taoism to move beyond the mundane and the conditioned life. And a lot of us, especially if you had a really tough childhood or you've had a really bad car accident or you know been to a war, it's hard to move beyond the mundane when your instinctual body is completely trapped in a memory. So with the Soma Dao process, I've decided to kind of weave the two together. 
And uh, I find that especially for people who want to teach uh, in a trauma, trauma sensitive way, for people who want to teach Qigong, who are clinicians, uh, everyone has the tools we need to really help people in 2020. You know, when culture is changing and a lot of things are changing, we have this pandemic we're dealing with. So uh, I didn't plan to plan for a pandemic when I wrote the course. I just realized, wow, this is actually a really good way to approach it for people who are stuck in their homes, you know, with with a lot of different emotional ways of being uh, with this crisis that we're all in. So that was a bit of a longer answer than I planned. But anyway, it's a one year or uh, one to two year or three to five year teacher training program, depending if you want to do like just level one to three, uh, one to seven, or all the way to from one till 10. So if you want to go and find out more about that, go to somadaoqigong.com and check it out. And if you have any questions, get a hold of me and I'll do my best to uh, make things as clear as I can. But it's literally my life's work uh, with respect to Qigong, meditation, Taoist practice and trauma therapy in one place. So I'm really, really excited and just really proud that uh, I could keep my orientation in the right direction long enough to, you know, make that work and make that happen. And it's not only do you learn a lot, but it's really enjoyable. You get to hang out with cool guys like us and <laughs> other enthusiasts from varying backgrounds. And like you said, everyone wants to teach in a certain way because they just have a different world around them of people and their needs. So it's cool. Like you said, you, you get the tools. Your experience of it is, is you, it's yours. You, everyone's unique. So. Yep. And uh, there's actually students all around the world now. So it's really cool to to be, I don't know, interacting with people all around the world as, as we work around the language barriers to uh, help people become the most skillful and credible and um, well-trained Qigong teachers that I can possibly help people become. Okay, now let's dive into part two. What can you let us know is in store for us? So we're going to be talking about the teaching called Chang Zhu Jidao, and that basically means the way of enough. In Chinese, anytime you hear the term zhidao, that just basically means the established path or practice or process. So chengzu is an interesting term because it doesn't really just mean enough. It also implies what we call reciprocity. So if I have enough, it's usually in, in uh, call it a, an ancient human experience because I've been generous enough for you to be generous enough back with me that we now have established reciprocity. So anytime I'm in need, my enough is based on how well I've helped other people with their enough, right? So there's there's that kind of social compact that many ancient cultures have. Uh, I think of uh, one of my family members, he's a uh, Kwakutl uh, First Nations, and in their tradition, they do something called a potlatch. Every few years, the wealthiest person in the tribe gives away almost everything they own to the poorest people in the tribe or to just everybody, so that we have this sense of this is everything and let's make sure everyone has enough. Because if everyone has enough, then everyone wants to keep working together. Whereas if we try and get a bit selfish, like people do say more in the modern world and in a way that doesn't seem to be really working out for everyone, you know, hashtag Jeff Bezos or whatever. Um, you know, now, now we're not really focusing on enough or not even just enough for me. We're fo focusing on this, this sort of weird abstract idea that if I get everything, you know, the person who, who dies with the most toys wins or something. And, you know, we live in the West. It's a, it's a Western society and I'm not, you know, yelling at that. I'm just bringing to people's awareness that there are other cultures in the world who embrace a different relationship with, you know, what resources mean and what it feels like to actually find that place within yourself. So... The teaching of her Chong Zhu Jidao is actually based on, or it's centered around one Chinese character. So I'm just going to bring up the screen share here on our little video part for the people who are watching the video. And for the people who are listening, I'll do my best to describe what we're looking at. So right in front of us right now is the Chinese character for Xing from Xingming Shuangshu. And it's the character for your heart in the sense that it's your perception of being, next to the character for life, which is actually the character of a plant growing out of the earth with leaves and stalks and a flower or a leaf. So when we think of that idea of Xing, a heart-centered way of living life in a very balanced way, that's what that term implies. 
the character that we use to uh, hold the teaching of Cheng Zhujadao is actually a part of this character. And this character is called Sheng. And uh, it's actually the character that is the earth with a plant growing out of it with leaves uh, in the middle and then leaves at the top. And on one side of the top, there's either you know something implied to be a flower or perhaps uh, a seed or something that that plant is doing that um, is kind of its inherent nature. So the reason why we use this uh, character is that it gives us four very distinct ways of relating to the world as ourself. And this has got kind of a fun thing, but like pretend you're a houseplant or pretend you're a tree or pretend, you know, you're, you're, you know, that embedded and connected to the natural world. So when we look at the idea of yin and yang and wanting to find balance with that, we have to find a balance between what's coming up from the, the soil and the land, you know, in the sense of water and nutrients and things. And as a plant, we have to respond to, you know, what's coming down from the sky, not only as sunlight, but as the weather. And, you know, maybe we're in a crowded field and we're the shortest little, little you know, plants. So we have to grow in a specific way to get to the light or, or, or there's a million other possibilities. But it allows us to kind of feel into the way we're connecting to both yin and yang. Now, both in Taoist practice and in Chinese medicine, um, when you think of yin and yang, they're kind of like absolutes in a way. And there's a lot of messy things that happens between them. You know, one way to look at that would be if you were to hold the atlas of the planet Earth between your fingers, that'd be the North Pole and the South Pole. Now, as long as that Earth can spin around those absolute poles, everything that happens between them is, well, earth and life and whatever earth is doing with human beings and animals and everything else. So we have that kind of absolute polar idea of yin and yang. And then we have more kind of intimate, interactive ways of looking at yin and yang. So I'm going to describe that uh, specific to yin and yang. And then I'm going to describe these uh, as individual teachings. And then you and I can riff on this a bit, uh, Alex, to see if we can help inspire ourselves and our listeners to find a path of enough in a very balanced way. So when I look at this character and I think of a plant and for fun, a house plant, everything that's underneath of it, the soil, the roots, um, you know, the water that we would put into our, you know, friendly house plant, that is all what we call yin within yin, right? And that's kind of the most yin that you need for things to keep happening. When I look at the stalk, the main part of the plant, you know, the, 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 the trunk of a tree, uh, if, if you will, the part that's growing right out of the earth, connected deeply into its roots, that is what we describe as yang within yin. Because it's, you know, something that's pushing upwards with a lot of yang, but it can only push upwards as fast as it can reach downwards and actually kind of like sip, if you will, at the nutrients and water in the soil to keep growing. So we want to have those those kind of two qualities in our, our own embodiment and our own practice. If I go and look up at the this, this character or I look at some of the house plants that I'm looking around me in my house and I look at their leaves, what those leaves are doing, we would call the yin within yang because they're reaching into the atmosphere and they're doing what they can do to pull oxygen and carbon dioxide in and out of themselves to actually stay alive, driven by the yang of light. Now, depending on the plant, maybe it needs a lot of sunlight or depending on other plants, sometimes people grow in their basement, it might lead to a certain kind of, you know, ultraviolet light. So, you know, that's that idea of yin within yang is to reach towards the yang and receive. And the better you are at making big leaves and kind of sipping at the light and sipping at the, from a plant's point of view, the carbon dioxide to metabolize, to grow, to get that carbon to make more plant, that's what yin within yang really means, right? To reach, to receive, and to transform. When we take that uh, part of the character that looks maybe like it's a flower or something, that's considered the yang within yang. It's an expression of the activity in the unique way that only that plant will ever act in its life in an active way or an active potential to actually manifest something new in the world. You could think of a flower maybe as a little tiny sun that a bee comes along and sips at just the way that the plant was sipping away at the sunlight. So the most young part of a plant would be its flower, 
or in a way a seed, because now that's the concentration of all of its life into something that will eventually turn into yin and, and turn back into a plant. So there's those four qualities of yin within yin, yang within yin, and then yin within yang, and then yang within yang. And that becomes the basis of the I Ching, the Ba Gua, and everything else. Uh, so it's a, kind of the foundational experience of how we understand the, the four seasons, the four stages of life, and many, many, many other very, very subtle teachings. But that's the foundation of the 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 reason why we use that character uh, is to make sure that we're really finding that central balance between the four forces of transformation in the natural world. So it sounds like you almost check all four of the boxes by just doing a meditational practice, trying to reach up through your spine, trying to relax the muscles around those bones that are trying to expand. And then conversely, once you've relaxed the reaching and you have floating or sinking and just playing with those energies internally seem to resound a bit with this character. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the point is that the teaching isn't meant to be, and this is like an overview, we haven't even got into the Chong Tzu Shidao part. Uh, it's more of a way of looking at how to use that as, a, like you just did, as a way of making sure whatever you're engaged in is it balanced and healthy. So that would that, be a really fun thing. You could, you know, if you wanted to write an article, Alex, you could write an article on the four qualities of seated meditation or standing meditation and use those as your base. And that way, you know, people would understand what each of those four qualities are. And some people might be really good at one and have a hard time with another. And then they know what a balanced meditative practice would look like because they would know exactly what's out of balance and how to move towards that inner collaboration. Uh, towards a more effective and efficient and, uh, well, enjoyable might be the word, but that's not always the main word uh, around your meditation practice. The best things in life are hard-earned. Sometimes that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the best in life, thing, things in life can be accidents too, though. So I, I just want to make sure, Alex, that makes sense to you, the, the, those four uh, phases of, uh, or qualities of, of transformation. You know, you just basically mirrored that back with what you had said, but it all makes sense to you? Absolutely. Okay. So let's have some fun with this. So let's take a look at that soil part of the character. And I'm just going to turn off the screen, screen share because I'm pretty sure people can, you know, we'll just use the houseplant analogy for that. Um, so people can see us, you know, wave and talk and stuff if they're on the video. So if you and I were to think of the soil of that, you know, houseplant and everything that's going on in there, that's what we want to start with. That's our foundation. So when I think of that uh, as a doctor, I think of sleep, I think of rest, which is different than sleep. I think of water, I think of the nutrient density and, and balance of nutrition for, for people's diets. I think of physical fitness in the sense of just having a healthy metabolism in your body because you use it. Um, and then I think uh, also a little bit about sexuality in the sense that that yin within yin does also remind us that a part of our life is kind of the animal rooted instinctual kind of teeth and claw gurren per aspect of being. And sexuality tends to have a lot of that to it, uh, especially if you're, you know, having a lot of fun and being really, you know, healthy and, and uh, a, a bit spontaneous with that part of your life and the people you share that part of your life with. So when I think of my, you know, Chong Tzu Chadao in my own practice, um, and again, I'm a clinician and I spent two and a half decades talking to people about this, so it's kind of hard for me to get away with doing things that aren't good for me without really knowing what I'm doing, but... Uh, that's always step one for people. So I'm wondering if you can think of the best things you can do or people you're teaching can do, and also the worst things people could do for that yin within yin of their practice. I think out of that list, the most important one was rest and sleep. For me personally, just because, well, I try to get up at about 5 and be in bed at about 10 p.m., and it's 110% at the day since the moment you wake up. So getting the most effective use out of your time and putting the right fuel in your body so that this vehicle we live in spiritually, physically, whatever, can carry out all the, your daily endeavors well and just being the best self to show up when you're doing all these things and definitely having more awareness of what that means and what it feels like to be at your best, what it was that led to that experience being that way, what didn't work. So, I mean, 
you know, staying up uh, too late and then just getting up at the same time, it's kind of tough, but trying to sleep in, for example, could throw you out of whack. And if you've missed a few things on your schedule, then you don't feel so great about yourself through the day, maybe. And that can get in the way as well. So finding that balance of <laughs> what's enough, what, what you can even, let's say you have uh, a, a difficult time sleeping one night and, and you don't, it's not, it's not your fault now. You wake up and you're not feeling great, but just at least gently trying towards that practice, you know, maybe, hopefully your practice, if you have one in the morning is gentle, start the day and easing into it in a stimulating way, and that can bring you back on track. So that's kind of what I was getting out of that. I, I'm sure everyone else will have something different, but... Mm. Uh, well, what do you think uh, in general would be the worst things for people to do uh, to, to uh, yeah, I guess, have the least resources in their soil? So as far as the worst things that you could do, I would say not drinking enough water, not getting enough rest, not eating nourishing food, and not nourishing your mind so you have the right perspective on how you look at the world around you. Thanks for uh, confirming all of that, Alex. We want to make sure that, you know, we're both on track and the people listening have a really clear idea of what to focus on. So if we're all kind of in agreement that you need healthy soil and you need your roots to go deep and you need to root, you need your roots to access what they need, right? So it's not just having, you know, money in the bank. It's making sure that what you connect to with respect to the resources that you need, which are all very different for each of us individually, are things you're spending a lot of time on. You know, you might want to have that flower and, and do something shiny with your life, and we all do, hopefully, in some way. But the only way that's ever going to happen is to make sure your yin within yin, your soil, your water, and all of those things are optimal, right? So the next thing that we often get into is that idea of the yang within yin. And the thing that's really unique about that is that it's not just about being physically strong enough when you grow to hold up your leaves and flowers. It's actually about the experience of growing in a direction with purpose and growing in a direction with a goal. And this is a tricky thing to speak about, especially in kind of modern contemporary Western Taoism, because a lot of people have this kind of, I wouldn't call it lazy, but this idea that any kind of effort and any kind of like moving in a direction is not what Wu Wei means. And that's not actually really precise or true. So I'm not trying to say anyone's wrong. I'm just challenging people who think Taoism is all about just being floppy and lazy and, and not really committing to anything and not really caring about anything and just sort of floating around like a leaf on the wind. There are moments that are going to be like that, but that's that's not how you get there. You get there because you grow and change and unravel a lot of things that might be in all of our way. So this is going to sound a bit more like a motivational teaching conversation because when we think of this uh, experience of the, the stock and of growth, your goals are determined by your challenges. If you're that little, you know, piece of grass that is eventually going to grow through the sidewalk and break open an entire 500-pound piece of concrete to meet the reach of the sun, that's because you're committed to your goal and you're committed to moving around uh, and beyond the obstacle. So it isn't always about turning around and beating up the sidewalk for being in your way. Rarely that ever is the point. It's realizing that it's imminent, authentic, committed, constant purpose, not expectation. We're not feeding our elephant, assuming we're going to have a 10,000 pound elephant in five minutes. It's that we're focused on the commitment, not on the expectation. So what things can help us with that? In my experience, anything that has attainable and measurable pro uh, progress. So I just think of like, if I want to do some resistance training, that feels like the part of my, my myself that is going to ha have a stronger, healthier stock. And for whatever reason, I love resistance training. Not all year, but when I get into it, I want to go to the gym six days a week. I want to do like the crazy Shaolin stuff that I do because I want to know, and I'm in my 50s now, 
that my body can still do the things that I want it to do and that it's still able to keep kind of growing and meeting new challenges. I find the same thing when I'm doing uh, deep stretching. If I open another part of a joint, if I can open another part of uh, the torsion inside my connective tissue, uh, that might be ascribed to better chi flow. And it's also just ascribed to my purpose, producing a gradual, committed, and consistent change in whatever direction I'm going. So it could be have having stronger, more bunchy, corded muscle, or it could be having really long, loose fascia and connective tissue. They seem like they're going in the opposite directions, but they come from the same perception of life. If I want to get anywhere, I'm the one who has to reach towards the sunlight whatever that goal might be. And this is uh, also true of moving, moving through challenges in relationship. You know, th there's a lot of aspects of relationship that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that, that have more to do with the, the other parts of this teaching. But the part of us that's going to change how we operate in, in our intimate relationships and our family is a part of growing. You know, and, and I love the modern West because every three or four months, there's a new best-selling book on how to grow in some way. If it's spiritually, if it's physically, if it's getting up and doing a morning neuroplasticity ritual, if it's uh, how to be better at uh, um, nonviolent communication or emotional intelligence, we're actually going to talk about that next week. Um, then we're choosing to grow with our purpose for not so much our result, but for a change of conditions that we live in. Um, and this is also true, and believe it or not, this might seem like I'm, I'm kind of reaching here, which is a bit of a joke, ha ha ha, reaching, yang within yin. <laughs> this is also how we grow through the things that have happened in our past. You know, we've all had hard, hard things in our life happen to us, and some of us have had life-changing things happen to us. The only way we can grow through that is to actually reach with our roots, and that's still growing. You're just growing with your roots. Right? It's not always the stock that's getting you where you're going. It's growing deeper into your true self and the self that got you through that hard experience and the self that was there before that hard experience and perhaps the self that it was your birthright on some karmic level to be. But we have to grow internally and inwardly through perhaps some damage and some, some trauma to get to really trust ourselves in a deeper way. So this idea of growing or yang within yin is actually happening in, in two directions, up and down, or future and past, right? Or obvious and, and subtle, <laughs> right? But it's always that same principle. And we want to have enough soil to support enough growth. We want to have enough resources to commit to our actual goals and purpose. And that's why it's called chong zu jadao about balancing all those things because it isn't just having I have goals I have resources it's making sure that they collaborate in a really potent and balanced way to maximize your your uh, benefits or for some reason I'm thinking of Deadpool maximum effort <laughs> but it's not really about the effort it's about being uh, aware of the reciprocity and the balance because that's how we get maximum anything in order to be able to sustain massive maximum effort, we have to have the right soil. And reaching both directions, that's something we've talked about in the Qigong teacher training program where it comes from your Dantian or your middle kind of belly area and you, we're reaching up as much as we're reaching down from there and interacting with the world. So what are the things that you can think of that would be the most limiting or harmful to that growth potential within our practice and within our lives? I suppose not doing it regularly enough, consistently throughout the day, would be a big one. And another one that could get in the way is definitely practicing incorrectly, repetitively. Perfect practice makes perfect. So thirdly, not practicing how to have more self-awareness so that you can know more where you're doing something wrong or right. And those three together, you, you can grow sustainably. You can train or practice or have a routine that you do without even other people around. You can see you doing it and critique. You can use tools like a mirror. You can use tools like this podcast or like the Qigong teacher training program. There are like written resources. There are so many options, but not, in, not reaching <laughs> towards those resources 
or towards a more thorough practice are things that I've found to be personally major obstacles in the past. So, and still continue to be, but creatively conquering those little things is, is one of the things. So. Uh, I don't know if I could limit it to three. Um, the first that comes to mind in the sense of Chinese medicine is the yang within yin relates to your liver, which relates to purpose and growth and assertion and maybe even anger at some point. From a Chinese medicine point of view, from an energetic level, stagnation, you know, that that's always the big thing that gets in our way. And you kind of alluded to that, Alex, when you were describing, you know, when your practice isn't really you know, refined enough or you're not bringing enough awareness to it, you're kind of floating around. And that's where usually people get bored and dissatisfied and quit. So anytime you're, there's a stagnation, it's often because you don't have the resources in the soil or you're not really working around that proverbial concrete sidewalk to get, you know, through what's in your way or you're just bored. You know, sometimes you really do have to find something to make what you're doing uniquely interesting to your personality. Um, I could say this from also a clinical point of view. Uh, people who are depressed or anxious, they don't grow in the way that you might say their birthright self is growing. And that doesn't mean that they're doing something wrong or good or bad. It's that when you're depressed, you're already against something that feels like an oppression in, in your mind. And that kind of fatigue with who you are, your, your lack of uh, confidence, um, kind of a, an overall sense of just being limited and not sure what else to do is really a, a lot of what that stagnation is like. So it's hard to grow when you can't make decisions and have the confidence and commitment to, to go with them. And that's actually a big part of depression clinically is just feeling hopeless and health, helpless and, and kind of hostile and stuck. And, and uh, if that's true to anyone who's listening, sit down and talk to a friend about what you're going through. Because connecting to people is the first step of freeing up that little plant that wants to get through your sidewalk. Because you need to start reaching towards something. And just connecting with people is a good thing. People, A lot of people are, are kind of insecure. And it's, it's hard to get to a certain part of our goals if we're not almost 110% committed. You know, in the sense that I'm going to actually overreach a little bit to see that I am reaching as far as I can. Now, you can't do that all of the time. If a tree did that for more than three days in a row, it would just fall over. But we do have to every once in a while kind of shoot a little bit the way plants do when they're in your garden to get where we're going. And if you're feeling insecure, the only way you're going to gain a bit of, you know, uh, confidence around that is to be a bit more audacious. You know, to just just leap a little bit, and if it doesn't work out, learn. If it doesn't work out, look what you look what you're actually capable of, and that's the only way any of us can find out. And the big one, I think, in the modern world is addiction. You know, if it's phone addiction, if it's in, any kind of other internet addiction, if it's a food addiction, uh, alcohol, uh, many drugs, pharmaceuticals. There's all kinds of things that we we rely on to control how we feel, so that we feel better or we don't feel bad. Now, when you're doing that, you're kind of at a war with the present moment. You're not focusing on what this moment could help you uh, move towards or perhaps become if you keep, you know, tr you know, focused on your own evolution and transformation. I don't have anything judgmental to say, and I don't think I, I would recommend anyone try and use judgment when you're speaking with someone who's experiencing addiction because they're using something to soothe something deeper. You could say maybe that there's something wrong or a rock underneath their roots and they're aware that they can't really grow until they've moved around that rock in their soil in the sense of say, say an old trauma that they're still dealing with in some way. So they're, they're self-soothing until they can find deeper resources within themselves and within people around them. And uh, that's a, a lot of the work I do with people you know, who have chronic illness and they end up feeling addicted to whatever they can to control their symptoms. And, you know, that's modern life. So I would say, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction, insecurity, and, and feeling stuck. Those are the things that are really going to thwart your sense of growth. But they're also the richest things that are going to give you a powerful kind of foundation and self-awareness to keep growing when you actually move into them and move through them. Because there's no other way. And that rock analogy was right on because 
there are so many things like a mental block or there's a physical one depending on what direction you're trying to go which which way you're trying to reach at which time in your life and I think that a lot of people are not aware of what that is for them so even uh, tools so that you can find out what that is for yourself and some people haven't had access to those yet or a chance to find out what that means for them so and that's why we're doing a podcast <laughs> yeah we're, <laughs> we're gonna uproot that rock in your roots so that you can get to your roots <laughs> Uh, maybe, or maybe we could wrap a lot of roots around that rock and, and actually lean off of it Ooh. And, and make it a, a kind of ballast so that instead of trying to make it go away, it becomes our biggest strength and our biggest anchor. And I work with uh, a lot of people who've gone through like Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. And almost every one of the people that I've met who's gone through addiction and has moved beyond it, you can see it in their eyes. They're like a warrior. They know the truth of who they are and they carry that rock, that, that, you know, pain that they were dealing with in a very sacred way. And it becomes like a source of energy and a source of wisdom for them. That's awesome. And conquering challenges like that, you can see somebody who's had a really interesting life. I always look at people's eyes as a window to the soul, as they say, but somebody with a really powerful or interesting history or they've conquered different levels of their adversity and more self-aware, more present. There's a certain, it's hard to describe, but you can kind of see it. And it's cool because when you can, you can kind of feel that there is more of a connection to be made. That person's really right here. Yeah. And uh, may it be so that everyone who hears this uh, finds that truth in their own life. So if we go to the yang within yin or the leaves, um, Imagine that, you know, in your life, you put something out there and nowadays it's your identity and your ego. You go through high school and we all went through high school and got our leaves stomped on and, you know, spray painted or, you know, pushed into a locker or what do they call that when they stick your head in a toilet? I was one of those bad kids who used to do stuff like that. <laughs> Such a... Anyway, so, you know, we, we've all had the part of us that we put out there to get our needs met you know, maybe treated well and maybe mistreated in some ways. And you might call that once bitten, twice shy or or something. But the only way any of us in, in the sense of the teaching is going to really feel whole and wholehearted is to keep just putting your leaf out as a blank slate and to receive the affection, the respect, the... Um, the friendship, the the love, the um, the connection that we get from the people around us. You know, human beings need connection actually more than almost any other need that we have. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a an aside here. Alex, have you ever heard of the term blue zone? That's a new one to me. So the blue zones right now, there's five or six places on the planet in 2020 and for the last 30 years or so where people live over a hundred. There's a place oh. in Japan, Costa Rica, a couple of places in Europe, where if you go there, you're gonna find that the people live easily up to a hundred years or longer. And they're called blue zones for whatever reason. Uh, blue may be representing life or something. And uh, over the last, say, 20, 30 years in, in my uh, clinical research on these things, you know, what we always see is, was it the red wine? Was it the special berry? Was it the fact that they roll around in poop when they're kids, when, the, when they're you know working on a farm? Uh, is it that they drink uh, olive oil or eat olive oil or cook with olive oil or whatever they might be doing? Because everyone wants to have the fix. We want the pill. We want the, you know, the thing you can just buy and swallow and move on, right? And that's cool in a way because you know we're trying to make that soil as healthy as we can. But what it turns out, the last meta-analysis on the research on all the blue zones in the world, they finally figured it out. They figured out what makes people have the longest, healthiest, happiest lives. Is it their geographical location? It's connection. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because these people, they live in small rural villages or, or small towns. They spend a lot of time talking to people. They have to communicate with their neighbors to get things done every day. They have to communicate with their family members to keep their, 
you know, agricultural situation, their hobby farm or whatever they're doing working. So it turns out that that's the biggest human need is good connection, a sense of belonging. And in the West, and I'm going to sound like I'm kind of like being judgmental here, and, and maybe I am a bit, but in the West, we focus on fitting in, trying to be popular, trying to be cool, you know, and, and that's what it is. It's just kind of adolescent in a way. And honestly, and I'm saying this clinically, fitting in is a kind of disease focused on insecurity in, in a way, whereas belonging is an instinct. So when we look at this leaf, this yang, uh, yin within yang, this part of us that's going to reach out into the excitement around us at, at a dinner party, or, you know, at a, uh, any other outing that we're in, and receive that social connection from other people, because that's our sunlight. We're going to get a lot of sunlight just by being outside. But what humans need to receive in our leaves is really healthy connection. And again, that's affection, trust, intimacy, love, respect, and, and all of those things. And it's worth saying when it comes to intimate relationships, especially in the West, men are much more challenged in this way than women. How so? Men want to perform. I will show you that I'm good enough by showing you. And then people around us, maybe, you know, our lover, you know, for me, it's a woman. Um, if my partner is offering me some kind of affection, I have two choices. Thanks, honey. I'm going to go and chop some wood, you know, or whatever, because I want to keep, you know, proving that I'm worthy. Or I stop and say, oh, thank you so much for expressing that feeling. And I'm going to take a minute here and let it just sink into my being and put a big smile on my face when my face feels their affection towards me as a person. And it's not just about my face and how I look. It's about how I actually feel inside of my actual identity as a being going, wow, it is so worth the time and, and, and the uh, commitment and the effort to be in a deeply intimate, uh, authentic, loving relationship. Because now I have this mirror in my life that mirrors back not only what I'm doing in the relationship, but what they bring to the relationship. And the more we keep mirroring that affection and that love back and forth, uh, between us, the more the love grows. But that only works if I let the love in, let the love through, and let the love change me and change my confidence back into comfortable. And then I become a person who's engaged in that reciprocity, that way of enough, but specifically through receiving and offering affection. But again, in the West, men don't really do that very well. We'll say, oh yeah, thanks, love you too. I'm going to go to the garage and work on my car. You know, I'm, I'm being a little bit playful or a bit of a twit, you know, the way I'm saying that, but that's just a cultural barrier. Men don't really know how to receive affection because we don't, we're not really raised to feel vulnerable. And in fact, a, a recent uh, statistical analysis on why men are three times more likely to kill themselves in, in Western societies is because men are told to stop crying around the age of eight. Right? So if you're not allowed to cry and someone gives you every possible ounce of uh, love, affection, respect, and intimacy that you have ever needed in your life, and you're going to now break down on the inside when you finally felt met as a human being, well, the only way that happens is if you're vulnerable, if you let it in. And you might end up weeping on the floor with gratitude and, and a complete profound breakthrough that you actually do finally belong in some place in your life, especially if you grew up in a really rigid kind of, you know, uh, you know, uncomfortable family, right? So I think that's just such an important thing for everyone to notice is receiving affection and love and respect and intimacy. That's not automatic. It's not just when people say nice things, you check off a box in your head. That's in your head. You have to let it go through your face and through your throat and into your heart and into your body and feel that completely change who you are in the experience and the knowingness that you're deeply connected to those around you. And if you don't have that in, in your family, maybe you don't have that in your workplace, that's what you want to find in your spiritual development is a connection with people that are actually focused on feeling the raw incredible rich experience of just belonging and, and having a loving connection with other human beings.
And for those who have trouble finding people who can connect with them in that way, do you have any advice? Get really good at being, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, radically honest with yourself and with other people. The biggest things that keep us from having that experience are feelings of being separate. I'm different, I'm weird, I'm better, I'm worse. All those comparative things that make us feel separate from other people or different from other people, they may be true on some level of identity and ego, but they're not true to life. At, at the most root, deepest, well, I would say deepest, but the, the easiest way to speak to certain aspects of Taoism is to say the universe is universing. The earth is peopling humans. Everything is manifesting something, and we're from where we're, we're we're from our origins, so we're just life doing doing what life does, you know. And then we say, "Oh yeah, but I'm from this province or this culture or this race, and I'm a kung fu guy, not a tai chi guy, or I'm a yoga person, not a qigong person." We keep finding ways to separate ourselves to get connection instead of finding ways of connection just for its own sake. You know, I know a lot of people who would say, I don't like yoga because I like Qigong more. I'm like, oh, that's nice. But have you ever tried both at the same time? Or does that stop you from making friends who do yoga? Because look what that opinion is doing to that deep need and instinct. So there's a million ways that, that we can see that play out. Uh, we see that play out in politics all of the time. You know, you pick a side instead of pick an us. Right? So there's many, many layers to, to what that would be like. But I think the best way for us to cultivate that quality of our experience is to find our boundaries and to challenge them. How do you know if you do or don't like a certain thing, especially about social connection with people, until you've tried that exact experience of connection? And for a lot of people, even conquering the just try it, just jump into it. That's the biggest obstacle as well is an anxiety about what might go wrong, right? Yeah, well, no risk, no reward. And that's where like the Zoran, like what are you going to sacrifice to make the people whole? What are you going to sacrifice in your identity to make your identity more about your whole existence instead of I got me right? You know, and for a lot of people who... Um, may have anxiety, depression, insecurity, and things like that, that that can thwart all of this. Seeing a therapist, getting some kind of support, going to a group where you talk and share experiences. If you have any kind of addiction, there's a million different kind of groups that sit in a circle and talk honestly and radically honestly about what they're going through. Uh, when I was first studying counseling to learn to be a, a good therapist in, in the work that I do with people, I'm not a licensed therapist, but as a doctor of Chinese medicine, a big part of what we do is to help people kind of grow in themselves. So I decided to do some training in counseling. And I was so surprised when my teacher had said, the most important thing you're going to realize as a therapist is your job is to become a person that they can trust as they talk to you. Because a lot of these people don't know really, they haven't had much experience uh, trusting people. So you might spend a year talking to a person about their problems until they actually just become familiar with what it's like to talk to someone that they trust. And then you get to be yourself in that way. And when you get to be yourself in that way around someone you trust, now you go, oh, that's what the leaves are for. I get it. You reach into the world and you be yourself and people love you and then you get connection and then you feel instinctually alive and then you want to go and change the world and 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 create all kinds of beautiful things because now you know what it's like and i was blown away at the simplicity but the raw amazing truth of that right if you never learn to trust anyone how are you going to learn to trust yourself and it's so easy to be so far from starting you know and i hope that what we're able to do here with this show is to help people at least find a place to start or the ability to begin the process or, or look to find some answers. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about the, the leaves is uh, I'll go back to sexual intimacy. Um, receiving the affection of another person physically is an instinct. But if we just want to look cute or do what somebody showed you on the internet, 
uh, or just try and perform because you think sex is all about some athletic, you know, you know, I just imagine, you know, imagine being in the bedroom and there's a bunch of people with those little cards they hold up at the Olympics, <laughs> 9.5, you know, if you're trying to have an intimate encounter with someone and your mind is on whether or not the judges, you know, give you a good score, fun as that might be, that's not about deep, you know, vulnerable boundary dissolving intimacy. So, and that's why Taoism is so, you know, one third of Taoist practice is about the Dao, the way of beings, the way of being socially connected and authentic. And also why Taoism has, you know, it's like, you know, probably one of the two or three spiritual traditions in the world that focus on sexual intimacy and sacred intimacy as a form of Qigong and, and meditative awareness. Because if you're going to receive, you know, if you're going to put your leaves up against the world, wrapping them around your lover and feeling everything that they're doing to express their affection and desire and, and gur and purr kind of into, uh, instinctual drive to, you know, to touch you and, and make you feel good. I mean, that that's one of the best parts of life. And it's especially good if you're consciously like feeding the other person's leaves the love and intimacy and play that they like and then having them, you know, with reciprocity offer the same. And that's like when you when you find someone to share your life with in that way, that's magic. And and now you have like a Qigong play partner for for growth on, on many levels. And I think that's a really important thing to find is at least one person interested in whatever you're trying to do or just the direction you're trying to go, who you can grow with and see what's working for you or not or that person and having another set of eyes on how you're doing especially if you're genuinely interested in personal growth in some direction. So if we go to the last part of this, the yang within yang, the flowers and seeds, the first thing that I encourage everyone to do is be a bit audacious. You know, in, in Chinese medicine, we often say like xiaodan and dadan, uh, like a small gallbladder and a big gallbladder. If a person is timid, they're going to have timid meditations and timid qigong and timid shamanic sexual reunions with the other energies you like to play with because you're being timid. Now that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means um, your leaves are small and at some point you're going to want to try and have big leaves or a big gallbladder or be audacious. And that could be uh, singing, it could be dancing, it could be art, it could be painting, it could be playing music, it could be doing anything that's you expressing you into the world. Actually, I was just, I had an experience last night with some friends. We went to a ranch out of town and everyone took a turn playing the drums or guitar or something and someone passed me a tambourine. I was a bit nervous. It's a bunch of new people. Oh, I don't want to but, okay, let's try it out. And, you know, just kind of doing a little thing. You get into the groove and then you get out of your own head about this is what I'm doing. And instead it's just, okay, keep up with the guy with the guitar. Just, you know, tap, tap, tap over here. What's this part of the drum sound like? Oh, this is a fun new idea. Then you're just beyond preconceived judgment or anything about yourself. You're just, this is the jam. This is what everyone looks for is that vibe, right? So... May we all be fortunate enough to jam often in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm actually realizing my voice is a bit hoarse because for the last two nights I've been trying to learn a new song. And uh, it's sung by a woman, so it's really got a lot of uh, pitch and tone in it. So I've been kind of shredding my, my larynx trying to learn this this song. But um, that's the only way you're going to be able to, to really express yourself is to go beyond some boundaries and to be about audacious. And I always think of the the party analogy of the person with the, the lampshade on their head dancing on the table or something when I think of audacious, you know? Well, actually, this new group of people found out that I do kung fu and they wanted to see that. So, hey, after you conquer the, the getting over just jamming with the music, what about just turn it into a dance party? Hey, have you guys seen Tai Chi moving in circles before? <laughs> Did you do a little demo? Oh, you bet. I showed, okay, this is Yang Tai Chi, this is Chen Tai Chi, this oh is Chung Bagua, this is Yin Bagua, this is where I started with Taekwondo, here's some Muay Thai, here are the comparisons and parallels in between, here's how you expand with your breathing and settle, and made it all flow through so it was one thing as if it was a form, but it was all just freestyle just off the top of how my body did, did decided any, did to Did anyone move. film that? 
Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, I will definitely look at that, doing that soon. Check that out. I would love to be able to link that into the show notes if we can get a, a link to someone who filmed that. Sure, yeah. I think someone someone actually might have filmed that while I was there. So I'll, I'll ask. Uh, I saw some people had their phones out when I was, you know, spinning around and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'll ask around. So I'll see maybe if Ray filmed it, my buddy's girlfriend. Yeah, that, that would be great. I just think that, you know, here, here you and I are talking and, you know, uh, people may be just, they may be listening instead of watching. But for the people listening and they, if they want to, like, if they're wondering, I wonder what that would have looked like for someone to go through all of that kind of at a, you know, at a, at a party or something like that. I just want people to see what, you know, the, the Tsuran of Taoism looks like when you just show up and, you know, turn five or six martial arts into a, a dance party event. Because why not? I've done that. I don't know how many times it parties when people say well what is it what does that look like oh i'll show you if you want <laughs> it's really fun yeah so if we have artistic expression music dance um and things like that that allows uh, allows us to let ourselves out a little bit in in the sense of self-expression another way that that can happen is what we call ceremony a lot of Taoist practice is very intentional, and if it's done at a certain time of day, at a certain time of the cycles of the moon, a solstice, a equinox, um, uh, it could be in front of an altar, you could be doing all kinds of things. But when we get into ceremony, what uh, I experience anyway, and what I encourage my students to experience is, you're, you're kind of like being a mirror for whatever it is that you think the universe is as a spiritual being. So I think of, you know, the kind of Western monotheistic God uh, way of looking at it, which, you know, there's a lot of different versions of that. Imagine that you're in your spiritual practice, whatever that is, and you've decided to look up um, and do some kind of practice, and you're just going to reflect what you believe God is back to God. So kind of. Well, living in his image. I've heard that expression before. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> whatever that means. But it's also, you know, being ethical, being um, whatever me is meant in, in you know, I, I, have a, I have a sense in my own life what Christ consciousness might mean, but I don't want to impose or presume that I know what that means to other people. In, in Taoist practice, we have this thing called the sky mirror, which we do as a part of Qigong practice and then deeper uh, meditation practice and what's called, when we get into playing with your pineal gland and stuff. And that's the idea. You know, if there's any sense that there's an intelligence looking down or moving through life, uh, looking down at us and seeing how we're doing, and we have a sense of truth that we're like, I don't know, I guess I think of it more like a question, you know, is this it? Is this what we're here to be? Because this feels really true to me. So I'm going to take this true to me and shine it out into all things that be. I'm being a little bit rhythmic for fun. But that that's being like, the, the most I can do is to mirror back to the sky what I believe the sky wants for me, if the sky wants anything. And if the sky isn't the kind of sky or God that has a plan and has rules or something, then maybe my objective isn't to mirror back the right way to be. It's to mirror back a kind of gratitude for just the gift of being. Because if the universe doesn't have an expectation, in my experience, that's probably true, then I don't need to prove, you know, that I'm a good guy. I just need to say thank you and sing and, and celebrate. Um, I've mentioned in a previous uh, podcast, I have an Aboriginal background and, you know, I go to regular sweat lodge ceremonies and other kind of ceremonies. Uh, some of them, in, including hallucinogens like ayahuasca and yopo and uh, ibogaine and things. And the idea with those ceremonies is to blow yourself open through the difficulty of sitting in 145 degrees sweat lodge and to hold your seat and hold your space and to sing as well as you can and not run out the door. <laughs> or to have your, your consciousness kind of blown apart by, by some of these amazing medicines. And that's, you know, your self-expression expressing what's innate to you back into the universe, which is about as young within young as we can get. And just in case you're listening and uh, you're wondering why a Taoist teacher would be talking about indigenous shamanic practices... Taoism comes from the indigenous shamanic practices of Asia, and yes, they actually had five different plants that they would use that have similar similar uh, alkaloids and uh, neurotransmitter uh, um, chemicals in them that are very hallucinatory as well. 
you know. And in fact, I think it was about tw uh, 2000 AD in China, there was a, a mandate from the governing people that all use of these, you know, ecstatic plants should be ruled out because they were trying to control the population. So for people who think that there's like a separation between Taoism and, and these traditions, uh, go back and listen to some of those other episodes where we talk about kind of the history. And in fact, in about four or five episodes, I've decided I'm going to talk about the actual oral tradition of the Chunran people from about 10,000 years ago up until the time they wrote the Tao Te Ching. Just for people who want to actually walk through the history of, of the people that, you know, became that their culture became what we now call Taoism. So ceremony is a huge opportunity for Yang within Yang. I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to, to <laughs> see where the I Ching really came from and where the Chinese language really came from. It's pretty pretty trippy to, to sit back and kind of go, wow, that makes complete sense when you really think about it. Yeah, there's more to it than just some fortune predictions and, and things like that, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it came from something. Yep. So just a couple of other ones, and uh, then we can wrap it up. Another quality of this young within young is how you exist within your family. You're either mirroring their capacity and their goodwill and their potential back to them, especially as men. You know, I have a son. If I was always the judgy person who was trying to dominate my child and turn him into a little version of me... That's probably not very uh, supportive of, of his growth, his ability to receive, or his ability to create his own yang within yang, because I've already given him a whole bunch of, you know, punishment and, and judgment and, you know, control. Instead of just saying, I'm going to give you as much of me and I'm going to hope for as much of you. And I'm going to try and generate in much, as much as I can in you. And I mean that with my son, with, you know, uh, my siblings, my, my extended family, my parents. I just want them to be the most them that they can be. And the only way I can do that is to be the most me I can be. And to mirror the generosity of that to some of my family. And to, gen and to mirror the gratitude towards my, say, especially my parents, for doing the best that they could do. Right. And, and, you know, we all have things to work out with our parents in, in, in some ways, but as long as my commitment is maximum possible mirroring of truth and uh, belonging and love, then that's what's going to happen. And what about wishing for the best for everyone in the world around you, even those who are mean to you, kill them with kindness. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that's just taking your, your yang within yang and mirroring it out into the Shandao, the Tao of beings. Right. So that, that's that's kind of the point. And the last one I like to share with people in the sense of yang within yang, within the flower that's shining out there into the world or the seed that's going to become something in the future is to point all of that inwards. And so actually have that? and actually have a tangible, connected, patient, hopefully slightly poetic feeling of self-love. You know, if you had a theme song, would it be my dog just died, my truck ran over my car, whatever, you know, in the sense that I'm not trying to like make fun of country western music, but we, we could sing, but we could sing about the things that we've lost. Or we could sing really intense, you know, rah, because I'm singing about what I'm angry about. You know, and then those are good ways to express yourself. So they are flowers. But at some point, hopefully, our self-love is going to be generated by pure, unconditional patience and love. And that isn't, look at me, I'm so cool, I've got a big ego. It's loving the fact you have a self. And it's being so grateful for the room you have in the modern world to do anything with yourself that you want. But if you don't love yourself, to the point where, you know, you almost have to like put up your hand from the glare, you know, like, whoa, that's a lot of love, dude. <laughs> Eventually you're going to let that glare in and be like, well, you know, what if I just became my whole self in the world and gave everything I could back to the world because of my gratitude for just this chance to live? Because that's a Taoist path. Sounds great. Enriching and fulfilling. Yeah, and that's the teaching of Chong Tzu Zidao and why it's uh, based on the character Sheng so that we can look at those four qualities in of any day, of any moment of, 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 you know, of your life and look at each of them 
and see that they're good resources and that they're good, good uh, that they're all in balance with each other. And then you have a path that is about Xingming Shuangshu. It's just more specific to the way you roll in your day-to-day life with the people that are around you and you know what you have to do every day to kind of get your needs met. And what's your theme song of the day? It keeps changing, I think. Uh, yeah, well, my theme song right now is the song I'm singing, so we'll keep working yeah. on that. <laughs> Perfect. So, Alex, what does the Chong Zhu Jidao mean to you now that you've learned the whole teaching? Well... It sounds like the best way to be is sort of in a jam kind of harmony with the world around you. Grooving or dancing or playing with life without worrying about how it looks, just expressing yourself more freely. And finding out how that is along the way, just playing with it, just being open-minded and patient with yourself. Nice. Okay, so that's uh, what I was going to share with people today. Next week, we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and traditional Chinese medicine. And it's a really interesting way to kind of springboard off of this teaching into the five elements or the five phases. That sounds great. I look forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening to Primordial Tao Present Tao Podcast. This has been episode four, The Way of Enough. If you have any questions or comments or are looking to connect with us, please leave them wherever you found this episode. You can also reach out to us at Primordial Dow Present Dow on Facebook. Please like, share, rate, and review because we're looking to get out there and help more people. Have a great day, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial Tao, Present Tao. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode.